0: The name's Casson, Dave Casson, And along with my brother Rob, we've got one year of podcasting under our belt, and we're going to talk all about it today. Oh, and maybe we'll cover GoldenEye 007 for the N64 as well, I don't know. Game that popularized first person shooters on consoles, and helped the world realize that the FPS genre wasn't just for personal computers, it was just a good game. I played it for hours upon hours, blowing up my best friend. So stick around, don your best by gadgets, and let's just do this! Let's take another trip down memory card lane! Good good afternoon and good evening i hope these words find you well hello and welcome to what i believe is the 52nd time i've ever said that i think i started doing that right from the get-go uh and the 52nd episode of our video game nostalgia podcast a trip down memory card lane each week we take a look at one title relevant to the current week in gaming history and we talk about it While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game. Something new about the game. Let me slow that down. What it took from the world as its inspiration, and what it gave back to the world in its legacy. This week, our game of inspiration is the first-person shooting phenomenon, GoldenEye 007, released for the Nintendo 64 on the 25th of August, 1997. But first, it's a very special day. As I said, 52nd episode. But first, before that, that, I'm David Casson, And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who always claims to be the man with the golden gun. My brother, Rob Casson. Rob, can you really one-shot kill everyone?
1: Well, depends on if they're wearing armor or not. But if you're a good enough shot, even that doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> no. No, who wears armor? I guess armor is a thing in first person shooters nowadays, isn't it? Ah, uh, very much so. Hey, absolutely. Speaking of which, I saw finally people have started to uh, Streams, not the right word, but I saw uh, content on the gaming forums for your split gate game. Finally, I still haven't played it, but I, I've uh, seen it. Yes. so it looks like fun. I mean, it's a first-person shooter with portals. Can't beat that. It is pretty fun. How are you doing?
1: I am doing well today. You know, not, uh, not a whole lot going on, which is always nice. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing well. What have you been playing this week? Uh, this week has been a lot of
1: Jurassic World Evolution. I did a little bit of Rocket League as well, but uh, it was a very light week on gaming. How about yourself?
0: I don't know why, but I just like the fact that you're playing Jurassic World Evolution. So it's so not in your usual wheelhouse, but is kind of. I don't know. I don't see you playing a lot of those type of games, so.
1: Well, then clearly you don't remember. Well, you weren't around very much when I was playing Zoo Tycoon heavily, but I used to play the hell out of that game and Roller Coaster Tycoon. I love those games where you get to build and design your own parks. It's fun.
0: Man, back... Back in the early PC era, I had, like, every Tycoon game. Like, Pizza Tycoon, and Mall Tycoon, and Cruise Ship Tycoon, and, like, if it was a Tycoon... Because they used to come... They were never, like, the AAA titles, right? So they used to come in all these packs that was, like, 10 games or 12 games. And I always used to convince Mom or Dad to buy me these packs. And I loved the Tycoon games. Like, uh uh what was the first one theme park bullfrogs theme park and theme hospital those were a lot of fun um and roller coaster tycoon so
1: i think my favorite one from that all was lemonade tycoon (laughs) too so much so that i've been wanting to play it again but it's hard to find a port for uh modern windows
0: yeah very very true very true well hey it's episode 52 rob that it is dave Fifty-two weeks of this. Fifty-two straight weeks. What are we on? Like for real, what are we on? <laughs> well,
1: preferably we're on all of the platforms in which you can listen to this podcast.
0: Oh, good plug. We're teaching you after all. But seriously though, I I plan, I pre-plan. Like we picked episodes for ever in a day. You know, we're scheduled through the end of this year on what we're gonna talk about. And all the topics are there and all the websites stuff is there and like graphics are pre-made and like I just sat down and did everything at once. But what I didn't plan was any break whatsoever. (laughs) So if I could uh, suggest any changes going into year two of our podcast, it would be I'm definitely scheduling a break somewhere in there.
1: (laughs) Right you are, Dave. That would probably be a somewhat good idea because everyone needs a break once in a while.
0: Oh man, every everybody, everyone needs a break. So, let's talk. We've we've been we've been at this for an entire year, you know what I mean? That we have. What was your favorite favorite topic? We've done 52 52 different episodes. Well, you know, we've changed our format a little over the course of it. We'll talk about that momentarily, but You know, looking back at 52 episodes of podcasting, what what sticks out in your mind?
1: Well, for reasons of the episode, just in terms of how fun it was to record and everything, I would have to say it's the Super Smash Brothers episode because, you know, getting to bring in all of my friends and talk smash as we used to do every week in college was very enjoyable. Um, But as far as the games, if it's talking about my favorite game that we've done an episode on, I mean, you know it's between dark souls and devil may cry. You even though it was the emo devil may cry. I mean, okay. We're talking as a series. We're not going (laughs) to specify that specific game. If it is that specific game, then yes, dark souls would win.
0: So those are games that you like talking about any topics or facts or anything that we've covered stick out in your mind that we've done so far well like a specific segment i mean uh let's see
1: a couple weeks ago we talked about a game that had a ton of different people that were creating it
0: yeah we did we did chrono
1: trigger a few weeks ago that we did so chrono trigger i think that was really cool to hear about all of the different people that came together to make the game that were from all of these other different games and series that i was very familiar with and having never played the chrono series i don't really know much about it but it's cool to know that the same people that created some of my favorite things such as dragon ball were helping to develop that game so i think that and obviously being recent it sticks out more than anything else but also just it's just really cool to know because i didn't even know that uh kira toriyama had any to do with the
0: what was it the dragon quest saga right yeah, one of the other big role-playing series that's just not as big stateside. Right, and I'd never
1: known about that either. So just to know that the guy who had such a heavy role in Dragon Ball, which is something that, thanks to you, I grew up on, <laughs> um, it's just really cool to know they had development in these games that are so outside of that realm of Dragon Ball.
0: And you're, you're still
1: into anime, aren't you? Oh, I mean... I'm not my friends. I will say that now and all of them will say that fact because Damon has a very big habit of recommending me things. I don't watch them till years later and say, dude, this anime is great. And he's like, yeah, I told you about that years ago and yeah. you never watched it. Go ahead. Ask him about it. He'll tell you. But uh, yes, I still do absolutely enjoy anime. Uh, I actually, I did manage to follow one week by week recently. So uh, definitely getting more into watching it than I was before. Cause Getting tired of rewatching the same 10 shows every day. I think day. it's
0: funny that you <laughs> got your anime beginnings for me. And Dragon Ball's probably the only anime I've ever sat through in my entire life. Oh, I, not-
1: I remember Jeremy coming over, bringing the entire box set of v- VHS is at the time. I'm pretty sure it was still was. And we sat and watched them all in the living room.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Jeremy and then Matt. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So, what about
1: yourself? What about your favorite episode, favorite segment?
0: I, my one standout so far is the Diablo episode. And I really enjoyed the Diablo episode because in that episode, we, I got my hands on the original pitch document for Diablo. And we were able to compare it to what Diablo became. And I really liked that. I really liked being able to see the original pitch document. I like being able to research to that depth. Um, It's not something I often have time to do. You know, we we do this podcast. This is not a full-time gig for us. We're not content creators this is a this is a hobby for the two of us you know we 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 both have full time jobs and you know a few months ago for those of you who don't follow along i stepped onto the local board of directors or i stepped onto the board of directors of a local nonprofit animal rescue so that's been taking up some of my time and and so i haven't i don't always get a chance to 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 deep dive that far. And I really, really enjoy it. And for whatever reason that has stuck out in my head.
1: I mean, that was pretty freaking cool to see. Uh, well,
0: honestly, it's, Di- it's, it's Diablo, you know, it, it, we got to play some old Diablo. I still would like to finish that Diablo. You know, we are right around the corner from Diablo two resurrected, which, is Diablo 2 remade, you know, and, you know, modern and it, it looks good and it plays good. And I'm excited for that, too. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just really I really enjoyed getting to to look at that from that perspective. It's not uh, something I get to do every week. Continuing with one year of retrospective. Um, let's talk about the year, you know. When we started this episode or started this podcast, the format was a little different. I originally had I originally had kinda planned on doing a touchy feely podcast. You know, video games are uh, they're my hobby. They're a significant hobby of mine. They're they're my biggest hobby. And I, I I think they're very important. I think educationally they're important when used correctly. I think culturally they're very important. Um, you know, I, I think that video games have made a difference in the lives of millions upon millions of people. And I don't think we talk about it enough. And I'm not just saying we, but I think, I, 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 you know, we as in this podcast, but more so we as a community. You know, there there's film study classes and you know, this movie touched me because of this. And, you know, I can relate to this movie because of this character. And, you know, we we do all this. We do all this stuff and we talk up movies, you know, and, and, and even books. I think books and movies are largely talked in a similar fashion where we just get all this attachment and all this critical theory in relation to it, you know, and, and video game incorporates all of the same All of the same artistic notions, uh, you know, in terms of writing and and video creation and and character building and world building and so on and so forth and more so. And we don't give video games the same respect. And so when I started this podcast, when I came to you with this podcast, the idea was that I wanted to do a touchy feely podcast where I talked about basically how video games changed people's lives. And we did that for a few episodes, but that proved to be more difficult than I thought it was going to be, if that makes sense.
1: I, I think it does. Absolutely.
0: And it's not that that's not... Well, no, it's exactly it. It's not out there. We don't talk about it. You know, it's not like you can pop online and, and, and find the stuff very easily. Now, that being said... I, I've gravitated to my comfort zone. You know, my, my comfort zone is history. That's what my degree is in. That's where I do a lot of research. I, I'm that guy that you hit up in a pinch for the trivia in that respect. And I like knowing where things come from and how things are made and, and the history of everything. And so we've just kind of slowly floated into this, you know, video game history podcast. And I'm not complaining. I really like what we do week in, week out. I wouldn't continue to do it week in, week out. But I just wanted to kind of take a moment and talk about where we were and where, we, where we've gone to. Is that, is that fair? Does that pretty much sum it up? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, and we've done other things. You know, I've tried writing different segments, you know, in the, in the beginning. We did, if you haven't listened to some of our early episodes, we did more topic-based segments. I wrote commercials in there. Heck, our first two episodes, if I'm not mistaken, were almost entirely scripted. We 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 taught we do talking points nowadays because we've gotten better and more comfortable with the format. Uh, but we did. We I think we scripted most of the first couple episodes, right? Yeah, definitely, they were full scripts. Yeah. Um, but uh, what else have we done? We've done quizzes. I like doing quizzes. They crack me up when people are around. Um, what else? I don't know. We've tried a bunch of things. There we have. It's nice but to kinda, have some variety. Well, yeah, I kind of like what we've fallen into. I I, I want to do touchy-feely stuff because it was different. But also, too, I want to do what's interesting to me. And we're definitely doing stuff that's interesting to me now. I I, I like the history. I like the deep dive, I guess you could say. I think that we do more of that than some other other ones. I other podcasts that I listen to, you know, there's I listen to a bunch of of video game nostalgia podcasts, but it always falls into here's the gameplay and here's how the graphics have aged and here's how the controls have aged and this and that. And I think we do less of that and we do more of the here's how this game was made and here's the people that made it and here here's what it what it you know, here's the legacy it leaves behind. Obviously, that's what we talk about, inspiration legacy. Um, so, I don't know. I, I just like it. Um, what would you change? Like, if there's something that, like, is there anything that we, and I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but is there, like, a note that you made somewhere or something that you're like, man, I really wish that we would kind of do this that we just, I don't know, that interests you? Or you like it the way it is?
1: I do enjoy it the way that it is. I'm trying to think of things that I may want to change. I mean, the only things really that I have faults with are faults of my own. And that's that I haven't had as much time to take to play the games that we're talking about to be able to have some more insight than, oh, I've heard about that. Or, yeah, I saw a video once. Yeah, it's kind of nice to experience that for myself. And although not all of them are going to be slam dunks, and a lot of them probably will be pretty crappy because I'm not having grown up playing them. I still feel that they would, they're owed the chance to be played.
0: Yeah, it's, um, I wish I had more time for some of the games too, admittedly. On the other hand, I also wish that I wouldn't put as much time into it. Because I find myself having way less time to play my video games as a hobby nowadays. And I hear a lot of content con- creators say that, you know, at, at some point, sometimes it feels like a job. And I definitely have pushed through some games, you know, to talk about them in that respect. But uh, in general, though, we've talked about a lot of really good games that are not really painful to play. I know. In a short while we're gonna be doing we're gonna be doing Super Mario World. So I you know, that's on Switch online. So I've been I've been I've been playing through that, you know, laying in bed at night, which is which is a lot of fun. Can never go wrong with Super Mario World. So Um But yeah. There's a lot of things, I guess, on the same topic, because I can talk about it myself. There's a lot of things that I wish that I had more time to do. Like I said, more of the deep dives. I've liked the commercials we did in the middle i wrote more of them i would like to write more of them i like the quiz i like i like more i wish we had more guests you know that's on me for for not reaching out to people enough um yeah there's things maybe a new theme song that's a little bit more upbeat i don't know i don't know I always started out with those good morning got the sultry tone so I don't know if an upbeat theme song would go well into that <laughs> well Dave who's
1: to say that a theme song might not already be in the works
0: that's right that's Guess right We just
1: have to keep listening to find out if we ever do follow through with that but, or uh, maybe it'll already be here mm. you never know
0: but yeah so we've done this for a year and Rob, we take a lot of time, at least you take time every week to thank everyone, but I'm going to take a moment and say thank you because you've stuck with me here for 52 episodes and I'm honestly very glad that we get to spend this time together. So 52 and going, who knows how long we're going to keep this up
1: (laughs) for the foreseeable
0: future (laughs) with a break somewhere in there i promise oh all right well we've got a game to talk about today huh eh?
1: oh we do i thought this was it
0: yeah i know well i don't know how long no i'm just kidding yeah we've got a game to talk about
1: all right well let's get down to it
0: yeah let's let's get down to it So our story today goes all the way back to November of 1994. Nintendo and uh, developer Rare were discussing the possibility of developing a game based on the upcoming James Bond film, GoldenEye. So they're in discussion at this, and there's a guy that works at Rare called Martin Hollis. His name is Martin Hollis, or you can call him Martin Hollis. I don't care which. Martin Hollis studied computer science at the University of Cambridge. I think this is maybe the first game that we've worked in with with a British, you know, European video game developer. Now I'm thinking about it. I could be wrong on that. No, I'm wrong on that because we did the demo scene. So Martin Hollis studied computer science at the University of Cambridge. Back in November in 1993, when he was 22, he applied for a job at Rare and became the company's first computer science graduate. And due to his knowledge of Unix, uh, if you guys aren't into old computers, you probably don't know what Unix is, but it was once a operating system that was not Windows. Due to his knowledge, he was tasked with setting up the networks of all the systems that Rare had recently acquired. He went from an IT guy to the second programmer on the coin-op version of Killer Instinct, another Rare game, alongside Rare's technical director and founder, Chris Stamper. As part of this, uh, Chris and Chris Stamper and Hollis went to California, where they got to look at Silicon Graphics. Silicon Graphics were higher end, uh, you know, machines for graphics and stuff, and and it was there that they got a chance to write and test code that would run on some of the first Nintendo sixty four development systems that were put out uh, put out there. So. So basically Nintendo and Rare discussing developing Goldeneye and and Hollis went to Tim Stamper, Chris Stamper's brother, managing director and the other founder of Rare, and said, hey, you know, I'm interested in making, I want to work on the Goldeneye project. Let me, let me have it. And so Martin Hollis was given an opportunity to direct the project. Now, originally, due to the success of Donkey Kong Country, which was another Rare game, Goldeneye was originally supposed to, or suggested to be, rather, a 2D platformer for the Super Nintendo. Hollis, however, Martin Hollis, man of the hour, is the one who proposed that they turn it into a 3D shooting game for the Nintendo 64. Now, this was in the midst of the Nintendo 64's development cycle itself. So much so that the actual specifications and the development kits themselves for the Nintendo 64, they weren't even available to Rare yet. Rare, Rare didn't have them. And so for much of the development process, the team just kind of estimated what they thought the capabilities of the Nintendo 64 were going to be. And they designed the game on one of their, their workstations alongside some custom software called Ningen that Nintendo had provided to, to develop its software. So essentially, they made their own development kit, right? Right. They had some influences. There were some things they knew they wanted to integrate this. One of the big ones was Sega's Virtual Cop. Do you ever play Virtual Cop, Rob? I have not, no. Yeah, Yeah, it's an arcade. That's all right. They also took inspiration from Doom, which should come as no surprise, and from Super Mario 64, which was kind of the title at the time. You know, this was just after... you know they they had an opportunity to see this stuff through the development process you know and like the rest of the world so they they kind of knew what they wanted to look like because they wanted to be like super mario 64 which everyone was excited for they wanted to be a first person shooter from doom and they wanted to you know do do virtual cup so those are your game inspirations now for the game itself The team was really able to visit the studios of GoldenEye, and there they collected photographs, they got blueprints of the set, and with it, they were really given a broad license with the material. So, you have all these movie sets, and they were allowed to extend them to basically allow you to play the game as part of sequences that weren't in the film. So... And there were a bunch of people that worked on this game. You know, we talk about that with all the titles. These are going to be some new ones uh, that would later go on to do some fun things. You know, aside from Hollis, there was Duncan Botwood. Duncan was a British game designer who would later go on to write the story for Perfect Dark, which is, I would argue, a, 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 it's pretty much the spiritual successor to GoldenEye. Um, David Doak worked on this. He's a Northern Irish video game designer who would later leave Rare to start Free Radical Design. And David Doak, as part of Free Radical Design, would create the Time Splitter series, which is another game that's considered a spiritual successor to Goldeneye. Uh, In case you didn't know, because we'll just get out of the way, there was never a sequel to Goldeneye. And so uh, as time went on, people just go, well, that's close enough, that's close enough. These are spiritual successors. But the also the other truth of it also is that people that worked on Goldeneye went on to create these other games, and they all play very similarly. So, um, Steve Ellis, the other founder of Free Radical Design, he was the director and producer in most of the Time Splitters series, and also spent time working on Perfect Dark. So you know, Time Splitters, Perfect Dark. Um, Graham Norgate, uh, British video game music composer. Worked on Perfect Dark and Time Splitters. Worked on the Crisis series. Uh, composed the music for Rise: Son of Rome, which was an Xbox One uh, early Xbox One title, and uh, 2013's Killer Instinct. And also Grant Kirkhope. He's a British video game music composer and voice actor. He's the voice of Donkey Kong in a lot of your GameCube Donkey Kong titles, like Mario Kart Double Dash. Mario Golf Advance Tour, and in the arcades, Mario Kart Arcade GPDX. He scored music for Blast Corps, Donkey Kong 64, Perfect Dark, the Viva Pinata series, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, uh, the Civilization that No One Plays, which is Beyond Earth, and uh, more recently, he helped score music for the recent WoW expansion of Shadowlands. So... Uh, a lot of people here went on to do other good things, too. A lot of a lot of early pedigree in the GoldenEye game as well. You know what I mean? Right. Hey, did you ever play the Viva Pinata series? I didn't
1: play it myself, although I did have a roommate who played it and I watched it briefly, but uh, it was not really something I felt like playing.
0: Oh, man, I really got a kick out of that game. Uh, do you own Civilization Beyond Earth?
1: Uh don't believe
0: so. No. What about Kingdoms of Amalur: Reckoning? Nope, I sure don't. We'll have to do a a uh we'll have to do an episode on Kingdoms of Amalur. It's a really infamous game for bankrupting a a kind of infamous studio. It's a really good game though. I really liked that game. Really liked that game. Um. Anyway. So, yeah, so a lot of people. Uh, one of the names on the list, Steve Ellis, was the guy responsible for creating the multiplayer mode, which is, I, I would say, probably the most, most notorious part of this game, the popular game. And believe it or not, despite the fact that the multiplayer mode was insanely popular and, and, and heralded as awesome, it was basically tacked onto this game only about six, month, six months before it was released. Uh, this is when Steve Ellis was brought in. He was basically sat in a room with all the single-player code and told to turn it into a multiplayer game. So he did. <laughs> that's, that's, that's multiplayer. Um, they really didn't give them any direction, and the multiplayer team thought they had a license over all of the Bond franchise. And so that's why in multiplayer you see a lot of characters like Job for instance, people from other Bond movies in the Bond universe. Um, at one point they did have Sean Connery in there, but that was they were basically told no, could, can't we can't license him, so that was nixed. But uh, yeah, so they were put in a room and reprogrammed, and then not really told to stick to GoldenEye, and so you have this really weird smorgasbord of. ...characters and stuff in, in multiplayer, which is super cool. Um, and then one other stroke of luck, a little fun f- fun thing. The As it turned out, in the end, the final Nintendo 64 hardware could render polygons faster than the, work the team had been using to develop their game. So they underestimated how well the Nintendo 64 was going to perform which was really said to be helpful at the end because it meant less work making things run at a smooth frame rate. Um there's there's like an interview out there where like yeah, there were some backgrounds that we could only run at 2 frames per second on the workstation and they just worked on the Nintendo 64 vinyl hardware, which is just crazy to think about. Um also, can you imagine 2 frames per second? Well, I mean, we play Rocket League on potato servers, so Yeah, you can imagine two frames per second.
1: Oh, yeah, I can. Absolutely, it's not that difficult.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I thought I would leave you all with one other little fun fact about GoldenEye 007. So every retail cart of GoldenEye contains a fully functional ZX Spectrum emulator with eight rare developed games on it. These games are... Early, early rare titles like Saberwolf, Attic Attacked, Jetpack, Lunar Jetman, Alien 8, Gunfight, Underworld, Night Lorps, and Cookie. Have you ever heard of any of those games? Um,
1: no, nope, I yeah. haven't heard of a single one.
0: Yeah, I didn't think you did. Um, So as it turns out, the emulator was really just a little side project to see if Spectrum emulation was possible on the N64. And was just coincidentally tied into the GoldenEye development because, well, it was the game that they were developing at the time for the N64. And hey, lo and behold, they found out they could do it. And the emulator was supposed to be removed before release. But in all honesty, I mean, the truth of the matter is it was only made inaccessible and inoperable. So nobody ever found it until, you know, years later when this happens in most games. They dump the ROM of the game online, you know, for emulation purposes. And when they do that, people comb through the ROM data and they found this emulator. And honestly, you can go online and you can patch, you can... Download a patch for the title that will make the emulator accessible um, because it's fully functional. It it doesn't need anything other than a way to access it. So that's that's kind of cool. Every single Goldeneye cartridge has that emulator on it. Everyone, every retail one ever made. So that's pretty interesting. I mean, it's neat. You know, there's. There's all sorts of little tidbits like that here and there. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's Goldeneye. That's how it was made. It was, I mean, for all purposes, it was not, I mean, there's no, no story. I'm sure it had it, but there's not really stories about drama or getting behind schedule. You know, this, this game was released a year and a half after the movie. You know, they weren't trying to cram it in to meet the movie release. And that probably helped. And uh they had another year and a half to piggyback off the popularity of the movie, and people were still excited for this when it comes out came came out and um, you know, I don't remember that to be honest. I was thinking about that. This is a very popular game, and we're gonna talk about that and um and we'll talk about that and and go into reasons, but I don't remember there being a lot of like anticipation for this game I know that once it came out it was a whole other story but leading up to it uh, there wasn't and I mean it makes sense traditionally licensed video games were not good let's just be honest you know the most notorious of which is E.T. which we're going to cover I think almost at the end of the year it's like the second to last episode of our third to last episode of 2021 Um, you know And and other subsequent licensing titles, they just weren't they weren't known for being great video games. And so here you have another movie tie in that. um, Here you have another movie tie in that was said to be the same way. So there just wasn't. But then it came out, right? It sure did. Well, let's see. Um, So you said you had experience playing Goldeneye, but that would have been later on, right? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, like like college later on, like when no, people...
1: I got to play this. Uh, it was either late elementary or early middle school. Well, it had to have been elementary school. I had a friend who had a Nintendo sixty four, and we would go play GoldenEye over there.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. I remember going over to my best friend's house and playing this all the time because he had an N64 and I did not. And we would this is this is the I mean, I've talked about spending the weekends at this best friend's house before and just staying up all night playing video games. And that's what we did with this is we would just stay up all night and play the multiplayer mode um, over and over and over and over. So, yeah, but I don't I, know that I've ever played
1: the story only multiplayer. Really? Yeah, well, I mean, it was always a group of us. I didn't own it myself, so...
0: Yeah, true. Nah, I know I've had a chance to play both, so... Well, for those of you that don't know what GoldenEye 007 is, it's a first-person shooter where the player takes the role of uh, secret intelligence service agent James Bond 007 through a series of levels that that follows the plots of the movie to a certain extent. Um, You have objectives in each level, from recovering documents to blowing up things, killing all the enemies, rescuing hostages. Bond had a lot of gadgets. You know, there's one level where you had an electromagnet watch, and you could use it to get a key. So there was a lot of stuff. There was a lot of weapons in the game. You had pistols and submachine guns and grenades and throwing knives. And my favorite were proximity mines. <laughs> so, um, yeah. What was unique about 007 was that it wasn't straightforward. So you had all these objectives, right? You had to rescue a hostage, or you had to get this key, or you had to destroy this, you know, collect this document, or so on and so forth. And it wasn't a linear path. Like, there were vents you could sneak through, and there were different paths you could take, and You know, killing this enemy in this way would would there there was just more than one way to play through these levels, and they were that was that was unique. That wasn't that wasn't a thing that was really done. Um, that wasn't a thing that was really done, and so it was great. And on top of that, um, there were different difficulty settings. You know, you had uh, agent, secret agent. I I, that there was one more. I can't remember the name of it uh and the, you know the 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 enemy damage would be different the ammo would be different the objectives would be different you know on the easiest difficulty you maybe only had to get to the end of the level but on the hard difficulty you had to get to the end of the level and collect the document along the way so you know there were the the difficulty would change the levels on and then if you beat times if i remember correctly if you beat certain times, you would unlock cheat codes, specifically like infinite ammunition or invincibility. I'm pretty sure the golden gun was one of the like ultimate cheat codes that you could unlock, um, which was what would one shot kill everything, or like the sniper rifles, which was different in this game. It was one of the earliest games I can remember playing with the sniper rifle. Um, yeah so i remember playing it these levels over and over and over trying to meet these time when i had the time to do that (laughs) god i can't even i can't even think about trying to do time attacks nowadays do you ever do time attacks in video games yes in uh forza oh that's such a good point hey speaking of forza did you see the all the stuff coming out of Gamescom? They did a like a big Forza reveal, like the beginning of the game, the the type deal. Did you watch that yet? Yeah, I've seen it. Oh. Can I just say I'm really excited for it? It shall be pretty damn good. I know. I mean, we play Forza. We don't play a lot of it anymore. I mean, I played a heck of it, a lot of it when it came out, but I'm really excited for I'm really excited for um for Forza. It was different. You know, there weren't... And we'll talk about that. What makes it unique. There weren't really first-person shooters on the consoles. Not like this. First-person shooters were my Dooms and my Queeks. Quique, my, my Quakes. Um, they were my PC games. This was, this was one of the earliest first-person shooters I can ever remember really being addicted to. Um... Because one of the next biggest one was Medal of Honor, and that was 99, if I remember correctly. I know we did that for an earlier episode. Um, and this would have been 97, right? So anyway, yeah, that's that. All right, Rob, that's the single player. But you said that you spent the most time on multiplayer mode. So tell me what you remember about multiplayer. Uh.
1: I remember there were the different maps you would go around, and you would get weapons, and you would kill each other. Uh, the weapons I remember most were the rocket launcher and the golden gun.
0: I so Gold and I had a multiplayer mode. It was four-person split screen. So back in the couch co-op days, because if you're young and listening, this was before the you know online multiplayer was a thing. So we all sat in one room and did it, and there was a bunch of of. Deathmatch modes. The man with the golden gun. Everyone was one shot killed. Um, well, you only had one golden gun, right? The golden gun is placed in a single location, a level, and everyone had to fight to get to it. And you had other guns, but the golden gun was would one shot kill everyone. There was a mode in which you one shot everyone, and that was one shotting with any weapon, and that was called license to kill. There was You Only Live Twice, which gives each player's two lives. And then there was just a normal uh a normal mode where you just got points for killing opponents, which I think we played a lot of. So. Alright, so this is what I remember. I, I, I remember playing hours and like peeing my pants in laughter because we used to just play I don't even know the name of the levels anymore and I I, I forgot to look them up. But there was this one level that just had vents and we would play proximity mines and we would just put proximity mines all over the map and blow each other the smithereens and just be rolling on the floor crying because we're laughing so hard at blowing each other to smithereens. Like, like, I, I, and I know that sounds so simple and stupid, but it was it was hilarious. It was awesome. <laughs> and we did it a lot. We did a lot a lot. Was that like a foundry, a factory? I don't know, yeah, I don't remember what the the levels were either. I do remember all the characters, like I job and okay, I only remember I job right now. All the characters, Dave, I job. It was a fun game. That's I'll just go that far. It was a very fun game, very, very fun game. So. Rob, I've gushed about this game for a while. We gushed about our podcast, but this is about the time where we take a moment to talk about how other people feel about this game. And while doing so, we always pull from critic reviews and user reviews. Uh, We're gonna read less than usual because you know we try to stick stick to an hour long format. And we talked about ourselves for a long time today. So um, why don't you take uh, why don't you take this first critic review? I pulled one for Game from Gamespot back in 1997, and let us know what Gamespot thought of Goldeneye 007.
1: All right. So GameStop starts out. Wow. Well, Gamespot starts out by saying Goldeneye closely mirrors the plot of the 17th James Bond movie, starting with the daring bungee jump sequence and ending with a showdown between 007 and Alec Trevelyan atop a huge antenna. In between, you'll shoot scads of soldiers, plant explosives, escape from a train seconds before it explodes, and execute other decidedly Bond-like maneuvers. The entire game takes place from a Doom-like perspective, except that holding down the R button allows you to aim anywhere on the screen, and with a sniper rifle, zoom in for a nice clean headshot. The graphics in GoldenEye are incredible. From installations deep under the snow to lush Cuban jungles, each environment looks really good, with a decent amount of detail. There is a slight bit of fogging at the edge of your view, but hey, St. Petersburg is a foggy place. The sniper rifle alleviates some of the fog, enabling you to zoom up and peep the action long before the guards are alerted to your presence. Also, the characters in the game look really good. When you run into Boris, he actually looks like Alan Cumming. The only difference, the only character who doesn't transfer favorably into the 3D world is Natalia, who looks a little too square. The music in GoldenEye is absolutely perfect and adds a lot of ambience to the game. For instance, one of the later levels starts in an elevator, complete with laid back elevator music. When you exit the elevator, the level soundtrack kicks in. A minor point, sure but it demonstrates the detail of this game. The only thing that can make GoldenEye sound better is the inclusion of speech. They finished by saying that GoldenEye is the type of game Nintendo 64 owners have been waiting for since they finished Mario 64. It has outstanding graphics and sound and contains a certain depth in its gameplay that really entices you to finish it on all three difficulty levels. If more Nintendo 64 games use this as a model, as opposed to cruising USA or Key Gold, then perhaps the system really does have a shot at topping the PlayStation's reign as the dominant game platform.
0: In general, this game was looked at pretty favorably by critics. You know, that they, they, they liked it. They liked the way it played. They liked the way it looked. You know, they liked the way it sounded. That's what most critic reviews sounded like, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse. With that being said, Ooh. we're going to... <laughs> with that being said, we're going to pop right into some user reviews we found online. So, to find out what you, the gamer, thought about GoldenEye 007. So, Rob, why don't you take Matt Boom right there? all right yeah.
1: right. So, Matt nudaboom from Moby Games says that in a world filled with bleak Doom ripoffs, One FPS shows through like a mile marker in FPS history. This game is GoldenEye 007, a Nintendo 64 exclusive. In 1996, when video games were pretty much run, shoot, run, shoot game style, GoldenEye brought us a better experience in FPS. The game is a video game make of the popular movie GoldenEye. You start James Bond, obviously and throughout 25 levels, you get an elevated level of gameplay no one thought was possible before. I tried as hard as possible to make this review as short as possible, and not to give it so much praise, but a few good words do not do this game justice. At all. The first good thing about this game is the gameplay. Unlike traditional FPS of those days, this one offered a more where you could do your missions how you wanted to. Doom's main purpose was to collect keys and get to the end of the level. Not this one. You had to take your time on this game. It wasn't blow your way through waves of enemies. You actually had to do the missions based on the movie. These missions, you could even fail. Your main focus was not only the guards, but how to pull off these missions before you went off and shot everything that moved. The production values are amazing. Levels are open, allowing you to do your missions allowing you to do your missions in any order possible. In fact, you can even finish a level without finishing your objectives, and you can fail. There are briefings, excellently crafted in-game menus, and stealth action. This title was simply revolutionary for its time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very true. It it, it was... It was... Definitely... Definitely revolutionary. We, we, I mean, we talked about that. The open levels that you could play any way you wanted, you know, um and the objectives giving you something to do other than other than straightforward. So um carry on, Rob. What else did he have to say? He continues on
1: saying that multiplayer is entertaining with friends. It has a great level of control, and you can unlock extra levels from one player to play in here, which is extremely fun. You can set the gun set. There's more than one style than just deathmatch, and each person can choose a handicap and a character. Though it seems like most games these days offer the same, this is the game that started the trend. He finishes by saying that the main reason to get this game is just because it revolutionized the first-person shooter industry. You can't just read about it. You must play it to know how good it is. Once you play it, you'll know why. Remember, this game came out in 1996 most Bond games still aren't as good as this one. And this one was made 10 years ago. Well, no, at this point, we're looking at 15.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, longer, 97.
1: Uh, no, Wow, math. <laughs> I was looking at his 1996, not 97. Wow, yeah, math, that, that would be...
0: August of 97. 20. They keep talking about 96, Five. but yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So, so almost 25 years. Well, 24 you know, actually tomorrow. The day this recording was released. 25 uh, today.
0: So yeah, great game. Well, I have one more review for you to read. You know, I, I love trying Before. to find love trying to find reviews for people that don't necessarily agree with us. So yeah, take it away.
1: Legion on Moby Games feels that this game is the definition of overrated. There you go. They say that consoles have never really been about first-person shooters. Gamepads don't make the greatest of shooter controls, and multiplayer shooters are best played on a network of PCs instead of a split-screen TV. GoldenEye 007 has the interesting distinction of being the greatest first-person shooter on any console, and also an average, at best, game in the genre. GoldenEye 007 has two strengths, a well-designed single-player campaign, and a multitude of clever multiplayer modes. However, fundamental failings in the game hamper both from being all they could be. The graphics are atrociously fuzzy. Many Nintendo 64 titles suffered from this. The visuals look pretty decent otherwise, but it's like viewing everything through a haze. Nothing looks sharp. The game also suffers from slowdown frequently especially in multiplayer shootouts. Multiplayer is accomplished via split screen view. The first person shooter genre loses a lot in multiplayer mode when you can see exactly what each player is doing. The fuzzy graphics are many times worse than each person's view is limited to a fragment of the screen. Some of the multiplayer levels are too large, even with four players. Play control is abysmal. Just being able to aim your gun well takes far more effort than it should, and the slow-moving speed doesn't work well in gunfights. Again, this is something that gets far worse when trying to manipulate the game from a small quarter-screen view in multiplayer mode. A second joystick would've helped, as the C buttons are just too unwieldy. So why is this game so popular if it's so bad? Well, it's not a bad game, it's a pretty good game that is mostly ruined by some bad flaws. Anyone that has played some first-person shooters on the PC will not be impressed. Compared to a mouse and keyboard, the Nintendo 64 controller is horrid. Four-player split-screen multiplayer simply doesn't compare it to this kind of online Quake 2 play that was going on at the time as well. But, some gamers don't know the joys of PC shooters. And GoldenEye 007 was as good as it got for the console first-person shooters. Still, when all is said and done is an average game, and one of the most overrated games ever released.
0: Well, Legion, tell us how you really feel. Right? Someone's sour. Well, I mean, he's not wrong. It's just... Yeah. Everything was fuzzy in the N64 era, because that was our first foray into, realistically, 3D graphics. We We were using rudimentary polygons, and this was all new. Like, it, I I don't really know what you want it to be. Like, I don't know what you want it to be. You know what I mean? Like, this was this was still early on. This was... Even, really, the 3D graphics cards on computers were just starting to be, you know, become commonplace. And we were getting 3D there. You know, the Quakes and the, event, you know, Half-Life in 99 and stuff of the world. So, um... Yeah, I mean, he's not wrong. It's just, my God, man. I mean, you gotta know what it is. And for what it was at the time, it was awesome. It was awesome. Although, did it age well? I guess that's a good question. Uh, We don't have another good Bond game. Let's be honest there. Whoever said that, I think someone said that in there. It's absolutely true. We don't have another good Bond game. They've, They've tried... Rogue Agent, I think they did during the Wii era. They tried, and that didn't work. You know, we did have Perfect Dark, which is, a I would argue, a better game than uh, GoldenEye 007. Rob, did you ever have time with the Perfect Dark series? No, I did not. They really do play like this, and it is better, but the technology had also, excuse me, approved by the time, so... For what it is, it's a good game, I, and I think it holds up pretty well. I don't know. I don't know. Well, let's talk about its legacy, right? Right. Why is GoldenEye important, Rob? Well, the multiplayer
1: was definitely revolutionary. It was absolutely. You know, uh, that's actually four players split screen is how I remember starting out playing in Halo too.
0: Well, and that's that's the, that's that's kind of the whole point to this game. So I know it said it in some of the reviews, but I'm gonna reiterate it. First person shooters was a PC genre. There there weren't there weren't first person shooters on the consoles before this. At Least no memorable ones. Um maybe Doom was ported over, but it really wasn't a thing, you know, and this was this was the first game that made it a thing, that made it popular. It was the first first person shooter on consoles that people wanted to play. It was the first multiplayer shooter on consoles that people wanted to play. So this was kind of the game that laid the groundwork for all the first-person shooters that are on consoles. You know, the Halos and the battlefields and the everythings of the world. And the whole argument is whether or not they would have existed had Goldeneye not come out and, and, and basically taught the world that, hey, w- this is possible, we can do this. There, there's a, there's a, there, there, there is a space first person shooters on consoles stop it with all this PC elitism heck the PC Master Race uh, existed way back then you know Absolutely. So, so GoldenEye has a very strong legacy because it arguably is the game that allowed us to have a very robust first person shooter community on consoles so and for that we thank you and now, look, it's so ambiguous. Does that make sense? Like you can you can play you can play first person shooters either on the PC or on console, and there's always going to be the argument who's better keyboard mice, mouse and controller. but realistically, that's not a PC or console argument anymore because you can do keyboard and mouse or controller either or you get what I'm saying? No, absolutely. Um. We're it's really i i i when I stop and think about it, I get really I get really excited about how far we've come and how you know everything just kind of flows together and and so on and so forth so um it's it's real nice, real nice. We are gaming one gaming community now, yay, yeah, so lots of fun. Goldeneye was a legacy. Anything else you want to add or learn or know about Goldeneye? Uh, No, just if you haven't taken the chance to play this
1: game, definitely give it a shot. Clearly, I need to give the campaign a try myself, but uh, I can at least say that the multiplayer was definitely something that was different for its time and a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, very true. Go play it. I think every game we talk about is worth trying at least once, so that's kind of a given on my side. Um. Yeah, so Rob, 52 episodes, 52 episodes, one straight year of podcasting, and every one of those episodes can be found on our website at www.memorycardlane.com. In case you've never visited our website, for each episode, I post my research, so you can find links to the reviews that I use, the... um, I post a link to every Wikipedia entry. I post a link to interviews that I use. Sometimes there's videos and YouTube videos and interviews and recommended music. And, you know, whenever we talk about stuff, it always gets posted as a link on our website. So check out our archives and our show notes on our website. You can also find a calendar where I post a list of all the games we're going to be talking about. And under each game is a little button you can click. And it will open up a little form where you could submit your own story. So if you want us to talk about what you feel about the game, you know, as part of our critic and user review section, we would love to hear what you have to say, and we'll read it on air. So go listen there. You can also find a link to join our Discord community. Hello to all the newcomers. You, you know, we've got them trickling in here and there. And there is a link to support us on our Patreon as well Uh, lastly you can find a link to our social media i am on twitter as david underscore is underscore wrong that's david is wrong pretty easy to find where i post rocket league highlights and wish uh video games happy birthdays and post episode reminders that hey we just published this today what about you what's your social media plug these days
1: well, Dave, I can be found on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. So as of now, that's all. But who knows? Maybe coming up, we may be hearing about a little more I got going on. So I guess you'll just have to keep listening in and find out.
0: Well, I think that will about do it for Gold Night. a little retrospect. Um, I think that's a good place to call it. As always, you know, our goal each week is to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world or what it gave back to it. And as part of that, we like to go round table and talk about what we learned about each title. So, Rob, what is your biggest takeaway from today?
1: Well, I think it's pretty freaking cool that there is a fully functional ZX Spectrum emulator on the cartridge for Goldeneye. That's I never would have guessed that something like that would have existed. I mean, I know that sometimes they put little Easter eggs and games and whatnot, and this is not one of those instances. So just to find out that it was ever put on the cartridge in the first place is pretty freaking cool to know.
0: Very, very true. I would have to say that was my, my takeaway. I would have to say that's probably my takeaway too. So, um, yeah, fun times, fun times. Well, before I take it out of here, is there anything that you'd like to add, uh, or say, Or forever rest
1: your peace. Uh, I just want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. Uh, We've been doing this 52 weeks, and you may not have been listening for 52 weeks, but you're still here, and that's the important thing. So thank you. We appreciate your support. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Definitely getting a little more interaction, and it's great to hear it. Keep it coming our way, and we'll catch you the next time. Dave, why don't you tell them about next week?
0: So next week, we're going to be going fast, fast, fast as we delve into one of the most prolific racing series across gaming history. Originally released for the 3DO in 1994, The Need for Speed began as a franchise that now has over 25 titles in it and a Hollywood film. And this all began with just eight cars, three tracks and an automotive magazine. Kind of fascinating, huh? that it is so uh, you know we all have that need for speed from time to time and and frankly we're going to talk all about it so join us again next week as we go into our second year of podcasting in the constant pursuit of knowledge as we go fast and take another trip down memory card lane do the thing do up do ba
1: do do ba do a do uh